welcome to the Friendly Meeple's Lounge, the podcast all about board games, new and old, weird and fun, and our thoughts and feelings about their playability. I'm your host, Jen Flores. And I'm your host, Chris Ingold. And today we've got a very special guest, Matt Stone, who is the mastermind of the Ringwood Social Games community and the Are You Okay to Play Day in Australia. No small achievements. Do you want to introduce yourself, Matt? Uh, yes, well, as you said, I'm Matthew Stone. I um, set up both Ringwood Social Games, which has been running for seven and a half odd years, and Are You Okay to Play, which has just had second year. Absolutely love the Are You Okay to Play concept. When Chris was telling me all about it recently, I was like, oh, that's such a great take on Are You Okay Day. It can be one of those days that's really in your face when it comes to people that do suffer from depression and anxiety and just having, you know, seeing it everywhere going, are you okay? It can be great to go, oh, cool, there's some acknowledgement of what's going on, but it can be really confronting as well. I think it's become a bit of a celebration, which I don't know how I feel about that. I think it's should be more about getting in there and doing something. So before we sort of get on and actually have a chat about that, because it'd be fantastic to hear the history of sort of how that's set up, and in particular sort of how that grew, Matt, and your sort of journey. But I guess, first, what games have we actually been playing in the last week? It's, I'm, Matt, do you want to speak us off? What board games have sort of tickled your fancy over the last week or two? Well, my unfair uh, Kickstarter expansion just arrived, so that's been getting a bit of a, bit of a workout. I really wanted to get that, but I've been a very good girl and I've kick-started one game in the last 12 months because my husband and I are buying a house. Uh, well, Unfair is one of my favourites at the moment. And the other one is Flamecraft. We got given a copy of that from our sponsors and that's been hitting the table a little bit as well. Ooh. Now, I've yet to play Flamecraft. I haven't played Flamecraft yet. Oh, I um, love it. So, at one o'clock in the morning on Monday morning, I was sneakily awake uh, under the covers with my phone. And it was one o'clock in the morning because I don't think they properly adjusted the clocks (laughs) because it was meant to be midnight because I'd been volunteering at PAX for the weekend. And for volunteering at PAX, you get various points from the same distributor who is your sponsor for Are You OK, Matt? And I was working through the list of games with my points that I should pick up on there. And I looked at it and Flamecraft was on that (laughs) list. And I went, ooh, but it's meant to be really good. It's really good. Get it, Chris. Get it, it, you will not regret it. So Flamecraft was on the list. I had five games I I put on my list there, uh, and Flamecraft is one of them. And it's one that I've sort of not played because it's almost a little too cutesy, but but I have a feeling that it's going to be quite cool and probably quite a hit in our house. I find it's a good one for events. It looks really complicated, but it's just not. Remember, we've had this discussion, though, about cutesy games. Cutesy games are often very competitive, and it is very competitive, and it's one of the reasons I absolutely love it. Might be more, more to the people you're playing with, I think, Jen. Okay, yeah, that too. <laughs> is it a nice, polite game, or is it quite a mean game? No, it is very light. It's definitely a game that it's like Calico. It can be competitive or it can just be really chill. And you know what I'm like, Chris. I'll turn anything into a super competitive game just to have fun. But it it is very cute. It's very fun. There's a couple of little bits in it where you can be a little bit like, oh, this is probably going to mess with you, but I'm going to do this little thing. But it's it's not horrible. So you're good. But on on a note of games that are unfair, I've never played unfair. And that's been one of the blips on my sort of gaming, partly because, again, that's a classic Australian designer game. And it's one I haven't really sort of touched. So what's unfair like? I love it. Uh, I think it might depend on who you ask. (laughs) Is it what the name says it is? 
Yeah, I would I would say yes, but I know people don't like it because it's got the take that in it. I'm not a big take that fan, but I find there's not enough of it in there to be the wrecking the game, and there's just enough of it in there to be funny. It's like kitten level take that. It's not like um, villainous take that. It's it's sort of you know, it's a half mild take that. I find it a very fun game. Again, super competitive. I don't if, think if you're playing with people you know, especially it's it's really funny. So I guess yes. I guess actually setting that expectation up front. If you go in and say, "Look, this game's called unfair," and people are going to do unfair things, and actually then if you go in with that expectation and it's not too bad then actually everyone's going to sort of warm forward and they, they kind of go in thinking, right, okay, I'm going in for a little bit of that, and you're doing the right spirit, rather than being a game that uh, appears to be more relaxing and then can become quite brutal. I, I find that the take that sort of escalates as the game progresses. Like, you sort of spend the first part of the game setting yourself up, and then you've got, like, a nasty card. But, oh, should I do it? Should I not do it? Because you've got options. It's like, it really would help me out if I did it. So you play it. And then once you play that first, take that, all, the, all bets are off. It's on, yeah. After that first one, everyone's like, right, it's that time of the game. Let's go. Like, right, you hit me, <laughs> I'm going to hit you. But everybody equally gets unfair treatment. So I think that kind of balances it out in that, yeah, there's the take that, but as much as somebody messes with you, you can mess right back with them. And, and the, the game will mess with you as well. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> the game messes with you way more than other people mess with you. Otherwise, remember the game where um, everybody's toilet's flooded. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've, I've had that happen as well. So it's. I think you'd really enjoy it, Chris, in the same way that – what was that political one that we played at Turn Order? Shasson. I think you'd like it for the same reason that you like Shasson. It's it's got some really good concepts to it. It's a little bit take that, but no more than Shasson or Clank or any of those games that you really love. Sounds genuinely funny. That's always a challenge, isn't it? In a game that that's for a laugh, it's actually to get real laughs. Well, I'm sensing our first um, Melbourne Meeple's Real Social Games collaboration. I would say. Yes, the unfair gaming event. <laughs> unfair gaming community. <laughs> we could do that. That's fine. That's fine. Um, the, uh, that would be excellent. Jen, what have you been playing? A surprising nobody obsession again. Um, I, we had Bored in the West last week, so I bought it with me and a group of people, you know, those of us that didn't go to PAX were at Bored in the West and, yeah, um, the group said, hey, can you teach us how to play? And I was like, sure, why not? I'll, I'll sit down and teach everyone how to play. Um, I don't know what else I've played in the last month other than Obsession because I've been teaching everybody how to play it. Obsessed with Obsession. A little bit obsessed with Obsession. Uh, I really, I did get, we were just chatting about this, the new expansion and standalone game of Everdell. Thank you, Chris, for picking that for me which is called uh, Farshore, and I'm very much looking forward to playing that because I love the idea of an expansion that you can either play standalone or with the game. I think that's absolutely brilliant. Can you play it with the game? And I, I needed to solve the um, nine-kilo box problem. <laughs> absolutely, right? And a very lovely friend of mine lent me a game that I need to uh, have a go of as well, didn't you, Chris? <laughs> that's a gift. 
because um, I've I've played it. Aww, That's a gift, thank you. and then we can pass it on again. So the um, I lent Jen. I don't know Matt whether you've ever played any of the post curious um, puzzle games. So if you're into any of those sort of escape room in a box type sort of puzzle games, the only ones I've done are on the exit games. Exit games. So there's a there's a a publisher called Post Curious who did um, and they, they've done games called I think The Tale of Ord was one of them. The Light in the Mist, Adrift, and the Emerald Flame are the key ones that they've done. And there's another one coming along, and they are one of the, the more sort of artistic kind of escape room games. In that they're absolutely beautiful. The Light in the Mist was a small one decorated as a tarot deck. And that was incredible. But there was one recently that was a smaller exercise. And there is effectively one big puzzle that all leads towards a hidden cryptic sentence. So you can then go into a website and enter. And there's a little bit of dialogue uh, in, in there, which I won't spoil. But the game comes in four chapters. And each chapter contains three poems, a picture, like a painting, and an artifact in a little velvet bag that in some way you assemble or construct. And these things chain up together to lead you to, uh, to to the answer. And they're like some of the escape games, but very meditative. So I finished playing this while my wife was abroad in England and had sort of done a little bit of it. So I got it out there and uh, had it sort of when I was sat up at night, just, just couldn't get to sleep. So I did a little bit of playing around with this and then finished that. And so that's because I keep talking about them, Jen. I've passed that on to you to have some fun with. They are the relaxed calm contemplative almost quite cerebral take on some of these sorts of escape room type games uh there's less kind of oh bet you didn't guess we were going to hide that on the side of the box if you lifted it up and like kind of like stuck your head in it and left it around <laughs> with it as a hat then <laughs> is it a one supply only one so that's obviously not if you not this on. one uh this one is actually replayable and replayable and replayable as long as you don't write on it um, oh, the Emerald Flame and most of the others come with a reset kit. And I would, I've said this before on the podcast, there's a, a little game, I don't know how accessible it is, but there's a little game called Lost in the Shuffle that's not by them, that's by a first-time designer in the States, and a little deck of cards. In fact, I have that, and I'll have to hand that on at some point to you, Jim, which is also replayable. And I mentioned that because that's the best game. I've, I've played so many games like this. That's the best one of these puzzle games in terms of just being completely left field and imaginative in terms of the ideas in it uh, that I've ever played and it's really funny it's the spirit of the old computer game Portal but in a puzzle game which is quite fun so that one is absolutely fantastic it's a little game called Lost in the Shuffle um, I'd advocate that but and so that's something you'll have quite a bit of fun with Jen or depending how you like those kind of puzzle things you will run around going chris gave me this so i can't tear it up and throw it out the window because it's so dumb <laughs> what am i supposed to do here now it's possible you'll do that but just we'll see i'm definitely looking forward to that one that's for sure what have you been playing chris normally i'd come around and i'd say well i've been playing this particularly kind of rare kickstarter game and very intellectual very heavy but i have been demoing at pax all weekend and i was on the party game stand for a lot of it so i've been playing lots of games most of which i hadn't played before including you can't say um spank the butt chicken versus hot dog block party as well as lacuna azul Organ Attack, which is Jess who runs uh, Board in the East with me, favourite game. game. I'd not actually played Organ Attack before. That was very big in the in our network for quite a while. It's great. 
It's it's a very funny game if you're not playing and you're overhearing people play. Yes, that I... <laughs> I'm going to rip out your heart. <laughs> Let me give you gonorrhea. Yeah, it's definitely a very funny game. I love it. Uh, I heard you mention, um, was it chicken versus hot dog? Well, my nephew received it for Christmas and brought it around a family thing and my partner and I probably changed the name to um, cock versus Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um... I mean, we could go one one lower in the rod. Jen's husband asked me why I hadn't got a video of us playing the dildos game. Uh, it's partly because I, <laughs> I I lasted with chicken versus hot dog for about 20 seconds before finding every excuse I could to get to the other end of the big potato stand. And the reason is not that, right? I'm not that prudish. I can happily sort of play around with these plastic figures. The reason is that I was rubbish at it and rubbish at demonstrating it to a point that that might have been dangerous. Uh, thanks to my quick reflexes, when someone said, well, what are you supposed to do with this? Is it like the bottle flip game? I said, well, yeah, the rules are effectively you're trying to take a challenge and take the chicken or the hot dog and throw it in that way so that it lands face down. So I picked one up and I went like that with my good hand because I'm left handed. And just at the moment where the flying chicken was about to lamp a poor, unsuspecting lady who was passing in a corridor, pushing like a, what I think might have actually been a pushchair, not looking at all at what we were doing and not trying to play chicken versus hot dog, I managed to stick out my right arm with fast reaction times. And I don't think she noticed the fact I was literally like whisker from her ear. And I thought, right, that this should, game should not be at the edge of the stand next to a corridor. And I'm going to go back and teach block party instead. So what I learned from this was the block party, which is one of Big Potato's newest party games. That was the game which the people that came along with their little bingo cards to see how many games they played and tested. That was the game that the groups of people that came along sat out and actually played a full round of, or not just a full round, the full game which whole game wasn't really, before they moved on, which was quite an interesting sign. And it was quite good actually seeing that and, and all the other party games, because there's about four or five other ones that I, I'm not re- recalling just at the moment. Just a couple of them had that staying power, where people who were stood up trying to try out as many games as they could, they actually sat and played them. And Block Party is Pictionary with Cubes. Oh, that sounds epic. Uh, we, had, we had that one come through from um, VR, actually. They sent us a copy to, to showcase. Again, it's one of those games that got noisy at the table, so... (laughs) It's got surprisingly popular. I don't think it entirely works because they... um, You had different groups, and some groups really, really got it, and some groups just didn't, and they they, they ended up scoring about two points. But the cards that you have to pick your drawings from, depending on how many players you're playing, you, you either end up doing six models off your card, or you end up doing two or three models off your card. And the... Models go from being relatively guessable to being a bit tricky to being impossible to guess unless you know they're on the cards right at the end. So they'll have like Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz in cubes. And actually, if you're playing the two-player co-op version, you might be playing the hard mode where it's Dorothy from The Two Wizard of Oz in cubes and you've got three cubes in 15 seconds. So in those particular cases, like Monica's, you have to kind of know the cards. But I guess that's for people who've been playing it for a while. They could say, right, okay, we're going to do an extra special challenge you've got to do the last one off the list at some point. And people are trying to remember what it is. So if you want to do Winnie the Pooh, for instance, you'd just do two yellow cubes with a red cube in the middle of it. And somebody would know that Winnie the Pooh was somewhere in that deck, so you'd get it. So that might actually give it some staying power. But that game was a lot of fun. The other really cool thing that we had was we had lots of Azul on the stand, but no normal Azul. And I don't mean not normal Azul by the other versions. I mean, we had giant Azul, 
which was a demo only one. Apparently it's not available in retail anywhere. It comes in this massive case and attempting to play even three player giant Azul on the stand was tricky, but it was almost doable. And mini airplane Azul. And how have you seen the Azul mini? No. It's right. It is genuinely airplane proof. It's been designed beautifully. It's not convention proof. By the time we packed it away, each (laughs) case of it had missing tiles. It's not convention proof, but it's got little clicky boards for putting your clicky pieces on. It has a little insert so that you can put your factory tiles and all your discard areas on it. The whole thing fits into a little cloth bag with handles that can also act as your discard thing and is big enough to take the full game, but also big enough to tip your tiles off boards so that you don't have to tip the tiles off onto the floor is it magnetic it's not magnetic it's just clippy um Ah. but the clips work uh even like the 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 scoring everything just works the scoring's on little sliders like that so that they don't come off at all it's immaculately done and the box it's in isn't even meant to be in it it's actually made for just carrying around in a little bag that's awesome it's really 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 nice yeah, we're, we're heading off on holiday fairly soon and we're lamenting that we, we could be flying. So we're lamenting that we can't take one of our big games with us. If you like Azul, then Aircraft Azul is fantastic because the, I mean, the other game that often gets raised as being almost playable on a plane is Jiper as a two-player just because you don't need that much space to put the cards. But even that, with any card game, they can fly all over the place. The Azul one really, really, really was good. So that's one to one to look out for. Outside from that, I've been learning to play Sniper Elite because my boy wants to play Sniper Elite. So we've got the Sniper Elite board game on there and we're in a bit of a hidden movement mode because I picked up the board game version of Halloween, which I've not heard anything about review-wise, but is an Emerson Matsuchi thing. So I don't know if it's a little bit like Spectre Ops, but that seems quite simple, but it's got a cool little mechanic. I don't know whether it's actually cool because we haven't played it yet, but a cool sounding mechanic whereby which the way that you spot Michael Myers is that the if you're not Michael Myers, because obviously Michael Myers is the hidden movement player, if you're one of the uh, Laurie Strode, one of the others, you'll move your characters along and leave them by. And then if you happen to be facing Michael Myers, the Michael Myers player just pops his figure on the board like that in the same way that in the movies, right, you'll find that people are wandering around searching for stuff and then suddenly it's like there. And it might be there a way away, or it might be there right next to you with a knife. Oh, my God. <laughs> In which case, you know you're going to be swapping that particular character for a different character afterwards. And I know that my boy wants to make sure he can crank up the soundtrack in the background. Uh, and <laughs> and we'll enjoy that. I'm waiting for somebody to make a conjuring board game. I don't know how you would make a conjuring board game, but uh, Chris's wife and I are very much into horror movies and we're, we're planning on going and seeing The Exorcist when she gets back from her holiday. I love all those horror games. I'm like well into Arkham Horror and Mansions of Madness, anything H.P. Lovecraft, I'm all for it. And Joe was talking the other day about the Halloween game and I, I want to play. It sounds awesome. I'm not that into horror movies. And I used to be more as a kid. I read horror novels as a kid. I didn't like the sort of slasher movies much particularly. I love horror video games, like like Resident Evil and stuff like that. That that I absolutely adored. And I love it in board games. Horror movies, there are times when it does seem almost, you know, that kind of like torture porny type stuff that you get in like Saw or stuff. That's just not my sort of thing at all. That's the point where it's lost sort of character and stuff. 
and I, I like, I don't, I've not seen Saw, no intention of seeing Saw. It seems like it's just for the hell of it. I enjoyed the first Scream movie because it was taking the mick out of stuff like that, but it was also doing so quite affectionately, so it kind of managed to cover everything. I enjoy the Scream movies, they were fun. We have a Scream mask somewhere in the house, which again, my son enjoyed wearing immensely, but that was when he was about seven or eight and hadn't seen any of those movies, he just enjoyed putting <laughs> it on and like standing behind his mum. <laughs> It's what every six or seven year old enjoys doing and loves doing. Uh, I can tell you what doesn't stop at that age. How old is yours, Matt? Uh, well, I have a one year old right now, and I have uh, a 19 and, and a 17 year old for previous marriage with like, living for state. So I almost not kids anymore. I have three cats <laughs> and 13 nieces and nephews. So I, I love children, I love them more when I can hand them back. Well, a one-year-old, because I met my partner uh, board gaming, and so we, he hasn't stopped us. So I made up my mind when he's not going to stop it. So um, he comes to the events, and um, he hangs around people. They all the regulars pick him up and cuddle him. The staff at the venues pick him up and cuddle him. I think when this kid gets older, he's either going to be die-hard, kill them all board gamer, or he's going <laughs> to say, "I can't stand the sight of them." Probably. <laughs> Mum and Dad drag me to all these events when I was a little kid. I do not want to have anything to do with it. My son got quite heavily into it at one point, and then he had a bit of a challenge because he got just got more into video games. Then he got back into it and started like telling some of his ga- friends about some of the games he was playing. He loves Scythe; he still loves Scythe, and was uh, teaching them to play Scythe. And then some of his friends would turn around and go, "Oh, well, you're playing boring board games, boring," and, and they they didn't know one for other. So he kind of took that to heart a little bit, so stepped away because he was worried that it wasn't cool. He then tried to teach friends again who just weren't good enough and weren't sharp enough to get it uh, at some point because he was going straight up to quite a heavy game from people that had never played even Monopoly, let alone you know, kind of anything more complicated than that. And so he struggled with that a bit. But he's enjoying it and he loves the games themselves every now and again. But he's, I think, got past the point where potentially playing a game and losing or, or having a challenge was, was, was sharp because what was really interesting when Zach started playing board games is that he would do incredibly well when he got into something so well that actually he'd sit there learning the game and when he was like 11 or 12 wiping the floor with everyone at the table that because he just smart. got into the game he got into the rhythm of it and understood it implicitly but then he start thinking a little bit more because he starts pulling it apart because he was doing it subconsciously and once he started subconsciously doing it he found that when he tackled the game again, he suddenly was playing worse, not better, because he'd somehow instinctively got the game. And now he was trying to think it out. He was almost going back to square one. And so he found that thing where he'd go and play a game, do phenomenally well and come back to it and found it harder. And so you just need to get a little bit older and get your brain get more worn out. Because as an adult, you'll come to it the first time and your brain will already be frazzled <laughs> and then you'll gradually get better from there. <laughs> that's the right, maybe that's the right order. The other game that I did play, which was, I only managed to play it twice, I think, when te- teaching it at uh, PAX, but have you seen a game called, not Lakana, but Lacuna? I have heard about that. Rod was talking about Lacuna. So Lacuna looks like almost the best game to just have out on the beach. It's a simple two-player game, abstract, where you've got a, a kind of black cloth and you tip out little wooden flowers across the floor so it almost looks like stars made out of little wooden flowers and you have these little metal kind of um or metallic look i don't know if they're actually metal little cups or or, or whatever it was and you stick them 
equidistant between pairs of flowers to take them off. And then once everyone's taken them off after six of those, you get whatever's nearest to you. And that's it. That's the game. You count that up and you work out who's got the majority of the flowers. And then you, you, you go again if you want to go again. It takes about 10 minutes. It's beautifully meditative. It's one of those things that's just, it is clearly quite a lot of depth and quite a lot of strategy into it, quite a lot of guessing where someone will go and so forth. But actually playing it is intensely relaxing. It sounds like the legend of the cherry tree, the legend of the cherry tree one that's got the super, super long name. This is the third podcast where you have decided to use as an example the game whose name is so long you can't remember it. I can't remember the names of half the games I play. I'm going to think of another game that does that. But no, just it's flowers and you have to arrange them, you know. Sorry, I like my flower game. Yeah, that sounds sounds familiar. Let's play the flower game. Let's play the tree game. The one with birds in it. Let's do that one. I do that. Moving on, I guess, to... The topic of the podcast, because one of the things that we've obviously been so very excited about in the podcast and care deeply about is our home city of Melbourne and the growth of board gaming and promotion of board gaming in our, our home city of Melbourne. And a lot of the sort of local organisations and local groups that have made so much effort to build the city into what it is, because it's one of the places in the world with the greatest passion for tabletop gaming that I think I've ever visited. And it still is that. And that's fantastic. And Within that, there's been all sorts of people that have been in, involved in making that scene and that culture and that community what it is. But probably one of the most, I don't know, most impactful uh, is with us today on the podcast, Matt. And I was hoping you'd be able to tell the story a little bit to some of our listeners. Uh, I, I never saw myself as the person you've just described. I thought I was waiting for another <laughs> name to come out of your mouth. <laughs> One of the great things about the community is when the community come together. And one of the things that I think you're known for, Matt, uh, whether you recognise it in yourself or whether it's just that other people see you, is someone who really has done so much to bring that community together. But let's go back to the beginning of the story, because the story is at least, is it 10, 11 years old now? So I don't know, Matt, tell us, tell us about your story in board gaming. Oh God, where, where, where do I start? Well, I think I was a teenager when I first sort of really discovered it. I think I quit school, got shuffled off with Dad to work the next day. I said, right, you're not, you're going to, not going to school, you, you go off to work with your father. Um, had a little bit of money in my pocket. I thought, oh, I knew there was a game shop, you know, in the next suburb over. So I'm going to go there. I'm, I'm interested in buying some little models. I sort of walked in there and I was blown away by what was in the shop. There was miniatures, there were board games, all sorts of things. There was some guys in there chatting. And when the customer left, I went to the owner and I said, oh, can you tell me? I overheard a little boy saying, can you tell me about it? Because uh, it's probably easy if you just go up the road. To the, there's a role-playing group up the road. Go in there and check that out. And I think that's sort of where my interest in gaming started. I would have been about 17, I think, at that, at that stage. Back in the ooh, back in the 90s. And where were you living, Matt? So similar area or still in Melbourne? Oh yes, it was. I was living in. I grew up in Murrumbuck, and the the role playing club was in Croydon. It was called Laser, and it got absorbed by NWA, Not Wadding War Games Association. And that was many, many years ago. I find it so fascinating that so many people in our community have come at board gaming from being quite young and then left alone for a few years and then come back to it later in life. That's definitely what I did. I think I think when you're, you're at that age, you're like late teens, you're sort of going into adult 
you hook up with people or you find a partner and the things sort of disappear and then life happens and you sort of find yourself back into it again. So what happened from, I, I guess you sort of went and you went to the role-playing club and you met people and sort of were playing games, getting into that. How did you take that sort of next step into actually organising your own events? Uh, that was that was much further down the track. I would have been, I think I was past the age of 40 before I started that. Um, no, if you, if you read through the story, it was, it was uh, my, my brother's quite religious. He belonged to a uh, church, and one of the church members was sitting up a board. He was a heavy board game person. He was sitting up a group. He said, oh, look, you, uh, I'm going down there. Why don't you come with me? Because you know, you're, you're kind of into games. So I thought, oh, yeah, I'll go down. And that, that was sort of where we started. So, yeah, I've really enjoyed this. Because previously I've played board games with, with family members, and it's always a really great vibe when you're sitting around, especially with people that you know, and and it, it makes you feel good. And someone like me who's an introvert, not that you know most people know, but it's a great – I've always called board games a great social Agreed. buffer. It's actually something we talk about a lot in that I feel like board games bring people together, and it doesn't matter if you're 10, 20 – 50, 80, anywhere in the middle, everyone can get around board games and be on an even playing field and find something in common with someone they never would have spoken to. It's it's such a broad, broad thing that it is very accessible. We've had, you know, disabled people, people on the spectrum, and they all come. Hopefully they all have a good time. I think the best one we had was a blind lady came in, which was a bit of a challenge, but we made it work. That definitely would have been a very interesting challenge. I love when people come along and say, I have this challenge, can you help me make it work? I I just I love seeing how much it opens not just the people who are facing those challenges, but the other people in the community, giving them the opportunity to see that you can make such an impact on other people's life as well. Well, it makes you think outside the box yeah. a bit too. I remember when, when she came along, um, I thought, God, what are we going to do? Oh, we'll play code names. We, we don't just <laughs> actually see, see the words. We can just we can just describe the words. We'll see if this this will work. And we explained all the rules beautifully, told her how it works, and we just neglected to tell her what team she was. <laughs> so she can be all clues to the absolute team. <laughs> so things like that, you sort of don't you don't think about. <laughs> it's a challenge, and I'm. I'm struggling to think of which one straight away because uh, in this, I think I might go to after the podcast and take a look at my own shelves. But so I've got, you know, almost 300 board games. And most of those, in fact, most people would look at all of them and say that uh, there probably isn't a game there that somebody who had either no or very, very little vision would be able to play. I suspect that's not true. I suspect there's quite a few which they would be able to play. Chess, if you'd have had vision and lost it, enough to be able to picture a chessboard in your head. Actually, I have... I have somewhere a chessboard that was specifically designed for a friend of mine who unfortunately passed away and her and I used to play all the time and it was designed for her. So every single square had a little rib on the corner so that you could feel where the squares were and all of them were lettered and numbered so that she could literally just, you know, run her hand over the board and tell exactly where it was. She knew the feel of the pieces, like she could just pick them up and she knew exactly which piece it was because they all feel a little bit different. But yeah, it's definitely one of those games. If you can get a plastic board that you can feel the different squares on the board, it can be such an amazing game. It's actually very easy to turn into an accessible game because you can literally just get tape and put it around every other square or put it between the squares. And as long as you can feel the variation, 
you can play chess. There you go, you've, you've met the challenge. <laughs> <laughs> there's a form of chess, I've only played it once. It requires effectively a games master, but there's a form of chess called Kriegspiel, which is like blind chess, which is the idea is, is that one of you plays, obviously one of you playing black, one of you playing white, but on two different boards and in the middle there is the uh, the master player, which these days you'd think would be done by a computer, but I don't see a lot of this in, in online chess. Uh, in fact, I don't think I've seen any of it in online chess, but it must be there somewhere, is effectively controlling both. And they'll tell you whether you've made an illegal move or so forth. But you can imagine that somebody who had learned chess in that way, partially sighted and by touch, would probably be invincible at that <laughs> particular version of chess just because of the spatial awareness of possibilities that you would get from uh, from learning the game in that way. But no, I mean, that's, uh, it's, it is amazing, the challenges that that you can, can work around. And I think, but what's been amazing is the willingness of the board game community to work around them. And I, I think a lot, of, a lot of new players don't realise that as well. Like, we get so many people that say, oh, you know, I'd like to come, but I don't know any of the games and I don't want to, you know, I don't want to interrupt your game. It's like, we love teaching as much as Absolutely. we love playing. We want you there. Like, it gives us the balance to teach people. So one thing I'm going to say, it's not always been like that, though, because I know there are some, there are some older groups that aren't as, aren't as friendly and accessible. And I remember that when I was growing up in board gaming myself, it says that we had groups, and it almost seemed to be, it wasn't a generational thing, but there was, there was some groups where they were very, very closed. And that was partly actually because they had their group of friends. They had their games that they liked playing. They had their things that they liked playing. They liked the people they liked playing with. They were good at them and passed a certain skill. And they didn't enjoy teaching games. They enjoyed playing games. So you had that sort of group. And actually, that's fair enough if you've got that. But that's more like a private group then of friends. And then you had like the groups trying to be more open and accessible. That's really become a thing probably over the last sort of... 15 years i think maybe sort of like probably longer than that obviously in europe but maybe sort of sort of 15 20 years well i, I think um, i heard somewhere that generation y was the most socially connected generation and also the most lonely because they've got the so well you know on the internet but they're not actually meeting people or hanging out face to face and I, I think that's one of the reasons why tabletop gaming has become so popular now is because we've got this generation that are keen to hang out with people in person if they're so good at technology they can make all these groups really accessible chris mentioned before i live in point cook um, obviously way on the other side of melbourne to where you are matt in ringwood which you know i've actually i think i've been to a couple of your events without realizing they, they were your events so it's, it's, it's i used to live possible. on that side of town i uh, i made the big trek out west the point cook community group on Facebook is huge. Like it's such a big area. And the number of times we see posts where people say, I've just moved to the area. I don't really know anyone. I'm not into sport or, you know, I have a teenager who isn't into sport. I really want to try and help them to meet people. Every time I see something like that, I'm like, hey, come join Board in the West. You know, first Friday of every month, there's also this other gaming group not far away that you know, all aboard games, they run every Tuesday and then the next week it's Thursday. And every single time people are like, oh, my God, that's so amazing. And we get three or four more members, you know, turning up and new people and finding new friends. And I love that board games have become this social lubricant in our society where it's so focused around drinking and alcohol for the most part. Let's go to the pub and meet people. Not everybody wants to drink. Don't get me wrong. I love a good cocktail. My head doesn't like the good cocktail for the next three days afterwards. 
But, you know, it gives you another option to be able to meet people in a way that is completely socially acceptable. And for those of us that are a little bit introverted, and I know that sounds so funny coming from me, but I always describe myself as an introverted extrovert. I think most people don't understand what an introvert is. Most introverts are often the life of the party, you know. But when we go home, you know, we, we need to recharge. <laughs> I love people. I love being around people. And then I'm like, okay, I'm done. I'm out. Bye-bye. And then I go and hibernate for like a week. Uh, yeah. Yet another reason why I love Unfair so much, because I'll play it and have a great time. Then I take it home and like two hours sort out all the decks. I'm actually all back in order. And <laughs> that's my downtime. I found out I used to, um, back in the uk when i lived over there i was part of an improvised comedy group improv comedy group um, and i did even had a go at a little bit of stand-up but you found that they were very sort of different sets of people and the amount of quite introverted people doing both in particular stand-up comedy uh, was enormous and i kind of found out a little bit as well that something that i've learned to be better at uh, over the years and i'll go through introverted and extroverted sort of phases i, I literally do yo-yo all over the place on that on that particular spectrum but the the thing that I found was that for a while, if I was performing, if I was talking about something I knew, if I was talking shop, talking about work, I was considered the most extrovert person out there, but be completely out there. But the moment it came to like small talk or kind of just that sort of almost in a bubble where there wasn't a thing to do, there wasn't a setting, there wasn't a stage, that at that point I was like, actually, I kind of need a little bit of peace and quiet and I just want to go and sit in a room somewhere and actually that to some extent this is my savior for that because obviously zoom keeps me talking forever yet behind me at least i can sit there and go right i'm going to learn another game so i can teach it i've been asked to uh, teach a, a bunch of people gaia project at the next board in the east and that's a game which i haven't played in a long 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 time and is oh so lightweight and quick to pick up <laughs> so, so that's what i'll be doing next week and i'll that will relax my head what you've just described there is essentially what gave birth for Ringwood Social Games and I okay to play. I'd love to hear a bit more about that, Matt. So, you know, how did you get that, you know, the large group of shops and other gaming groups and everything together to create such an amazing group? I've always been a gamer and I sort of in and out of it like a lot of people were. And I sort of started gaming again. There's a group that fired up in my area and my relationship fell apart and things went south. And I thought, oh, I'm just, I'm just over it. You know, I'm just over it. So I thought, oh, the board, playing the games has made me happy, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that. I started playing games. I joined a meetup group. I started doing meetups where you're going out to dinner and you're meeting people and thinking, well, this is all well and good, but I, I kind of, I am an introvert. I don't know what to say. I'm, I'm uncomfortable and... I'm, I'm going to go back to, to playing games and I'm going to look for the board game meetups and there's heaps of them. There the really up. are. Heaps of them. And um, I really got into meetup, going to the events and you know going to the city for games. And then um, the group that I was playing with suddenly popped up on meetup. And I'd actually walked away from them for a little bit because I thought, well, I'm seeing the same people. It's sort of, you know, it's, it's, it's a nice little thing. It's not organised that well. But it pops up on Meetup that sort of sparks my interest back again. So I was like, oh, there's, there's new people coming. I'm going to start going again. And I think from there, like, it really sort of spurred me on to get new people and figure out ways to get new people in. We started a Facebook group, and I think I, I put up – I had a big – I had Firefly. I was like, that's a huge game. And I thought, oh, I don't know that this is really appropriate for the group I'm in. So I put up a post on the, the House of War page. It's a local gaming shop and people responded. It was the first time I've ever been there. I thought, wow, this is a 
a really cool shop and there's lots of interesting people here. I've never seen these people at my other group. It's like people at my group would probably like this shop and the people that shop probably like this group thought there's gotta be a way to connect them all together. And that's sort of where the where the idea for a Ringwood Social Game started. And I, I researched who the shops and the groups in the area and we said, Well, if we do this right, we can play games every single weekend at at a different location. And that's how it started. Before it started, I think we've gone through so many different businesses and groups and that, and we, we like to fill the gaps. But, but yeah, it's, it's, it's certainly been a ride. And it's taken a step sort of beyond that as well, because one of the really noticeable things that I've seen at your, your events is just the fact that you have sort of like designers testing out the games at the events. And you'll get that. I mean, we have that at, at sort of our bigger events, but that tends to be sort of something where, where that atmosphere seemed to be there, that there's a little bit of everything going on. How did you find yourself connecting in with designers? Because quite often for a while, designers and playtest groups and meets and gaming meets, they feel like they should be happening together, but quite often they've been very separate things. Yeah, So was that much. deliberate or did that just happen? Um, well, I think when it comes to the gaming, I'm, I've, got, I've kind of got my ears open. And when, when someone says something, I'm like, hmm? oh, there's an opportunity there. So um, I think there was a local designer who wanted to, to test his game in our group. And a lot of designers, they, they, like, they test their games with other designers. We need actual normal people to play these with to see how they're received. And so he came along and then you, you get someone else that says, well, maybe I can actually tack some designing elements on to some of the events where I'm getting regular people to. It works okay, but I've, I've sort of not pursued it because, no offence to game designers, but they're really hard to pin down. <laughs> We have a designer that comes to Board in the West quite frequently and I've tried to encourage him quite a few times. I'm like, if you wanted to play test your games, you're more than welcome to bring them here. I'd love to play test, you know, and there's so many other people there like, yeah, yeah, we'd love to play test as well. And he's made some really fantastic games. And he did actually bring his last game he brought along and we ended up having a few games of it. And I'm so glad now that I did actually kickstart it because it's such a great game. It's um, Seabrook Design Studios, so Ryan from Seabrook Design. It's Ryan Boucher and his latest game is 10 Wickets because these are sports games. And then previously he'd had the 18 holes golf game where there's the immaculately designed match play mode where you play hole one hole two hole three hole four basically you play golf on a cardboard course which is fun but then there's the throwaway mode at the end of it which is the chaos golf (laughs) mode where you just go for whatever holes you want in every order and try and steal them as fast as possible which for us a board game is even more fun (laughs) so which i think he sort of realized to see coming to the the sort of next edition to it that's actually the easily the most entertaining way to play the game it's great fun Ryan has got a couple of fantastic other designs, which have one of them has got, and I've been very careful on what I actually say, because I don't know what's uh, what's officially public, but I know one of them has got interest from quite a major game design studio and game, which had actually won an award in the Cardboard Edison, but it's taken a while for him to get there and it's quite fantastic. So that's been brilliant to see and brilliant to sort of watch that story. But going back to Rewood, so then, the other great thing, and I think one of the things that's been particularly impactful, I guess, is the the, the work you've done with Are You OK uh, to Play. And obviously that's very topical as well, because Are You OK Day was, uh, at the time of recording, about three weeks ago. I think is that two, three weeks ago? 
something like that, it's all a bit of a blur. <laughs> Imagine so. <laughs> been a very busy, uh, busy time. So, are, are you okay? Days been around for a while as, as an initiative, and we briefly alluded to it right at the beginning of the the podcast, and uh, and sort of different feelings about it. But um, but are you okay to play day? Wasn't a formal part of Are You Okay, Dave? It still isn't. I'd love it to be, but it still isn't. So how did Are You Okay to Play come about? I mean, Are You Okay Day is something that's very close to me because I've had numerous issues with mental illness. You know, we, can, it's a, we can go into that if you like. It's probably a whole another couple of hours conversation. But um, for me, the, the board games was... How I broke social isolation, that was always a, a big thing for me. It's like, I remember I had a, a, a breakdown. I was in my 30s and I'd broken up my relationship. I was living on my own and I just, I couldn't take it anymore. I just had a meltdown. I rang my parents and they came over at one o'clock in the morning and literally picked me up off the floor. And um, I thought, I can't go on like this. I just can't. So... Um, Next day, my mother took me down to the doctor, and then I ended up seeing a psychiatrist. And he's like, "Well, what you've described from your hobbies and your job and everything you do and the way you live, you're extremely isolated." So I thought, "Well, meetups probably the way to fix that." And I like board games. I don't need to make small talk playing board games, and that essentially was the start of both Ringwood Social Games and then later, uh, are you okay to play? I remember thinking. Um, when AOK Day rocked around, I thought, oh, this is, this is sort of such a touchy day for me because I've had the days, the AOK Day, you know, in the past where I thought I'm feeling really depressed and I'm feeling really terrible and this, this day is AOK Day and I'm seeing all these posts on Facebook about someone's wearing this really tight T-shirt saying, AOK, I'm doing my bit for AOK and someone else is baking cupcakes saying, I'm doing my bit for AOK. So I'm, who's, who's actually checking in with me? Like I feel like I feel like crap. No one's checking in with me. It's like, well, and I sort of felt like, well, who's going to do something about this? And I thought, how can I do something about this? And I love board games. I love the way that it brings people together. And I love the way that it can cut that social isolation. So I started theming some of our regular events for Are You Okay? It's like, well, we've got a board game event on this Saturday, and it's Are You Okay Day on Thursday. Why don't you just come down? It's it's a great it's a great marriage. And then COVID hit, and then we so we ran a few specific are you okay to play days on online. And um, I remember one day walking home from the train station and thinking, that's actually a really good idea. There's no reason I can't do this across the country. And I made up my mission after that, and I started reaching out to businesses and to social groups and. Not wasn't always well, always well received, but but it got it got better response than I was expecting. What sort of pushback did you get? I think mostly, most, mostly um, my go-to is always Facebook for floating ideas. And a lot of the groups deleted, like the admin just deleted the posts. It's like, oh, this is not about our group or you've broken the group's rules or you're, you're advertising your own personal things. So we just deleted it. It's like, oh, okay. And then others couldn't get enough of it. So. I think there's a big divide in the board gaming community and this might be a bit of a contentious thing but you've got the groups of people who are super welcoming and you know we we want to get out there and we want to make sure that everybody feels welcome with gaming and we we love it so much we want to share it with everyone and then you've got your your groups that are very much nope we have the people we play with you know we have our way of playing there's the new 
you know, the new people do their thing and we play our type of games. And I think it can be really hard when what you're trying to do is bring more people together to kind of navigate which groups are really for what. And I think it's definitely something that I've seen a bit of I, as well. I, I think there's a, there's a lot of ownership yeah. as well, I think, when it comes to events and groups. And I know I feel that. Like, I've, I'm proud of what I've achieved and I don't want people to mess with it. And I know that other people feel the same way. And Yeah. And I'm the same with my groups. When people start advertising, it's like, oh, I don't know how I feel about that. Then you have to sort of step back and say, hang on, what am I, what am I about? So, no, this is okay. This is, this is okay for them to do that. We know we've certainly seen the same thing. And I think it is, it's, it is the minority. I think that point about ownership is quite relevant because in certainly some of the bigger groups, and if you look at the community that's evolved around board gaming, I think the majority of board gamers these days are, in fact, not even the majority, the vast majority are on the welcoming Absolutely. and the open side. Uh, but that's challenging if you've maybe set something up which has been sort of either smaller, been been sort of more controlled, been to do something very, very specific. And you kind of think, I've set this thing up and it's just rolling and you're not quite sure where it's going. You're not quite sure you trust. And there's that thing about trust, isn't it? And actually sort of understanding where everyone's coming from, building relationships. And again, I think that comes back to that thing about online and people building relationships online. Because when you try to do something like that, you're reaching out to people, you're reaching out to group admins and so on in Facebook communities. Again, it comes back to building those abstract relationships. If, if you've got that personal connections there, then it can be different. If you happen to like know someone from around a board gaming table at an event, then it can be a lot, lot easier to sort of navigate. But I know there's a, yeah, in Melbourne, there's a, there's a couple of prickly ones in the Australian yeah, for sure. Facebook groups on the admin. And there's a lot who are absolutely lovely, but there are a couple of prickly ones. And I think everybody who's involved knows who they are. It's yeah. It's about building that that relationship. I'm sort of hoping in a few years' time that the people that have been resisting on, oh, actually, this is actually something that we should get on board with. So, but, you know, time will tell. I hope so. Well, I think the thing that is common, because I mean, obviously, you've gone from the point of being able to get that event up to, I mean, let's just get some example maps. Some of the places that have had are you okay to play days. In Australia, because it's not just not a Melbourne anymore. thing, is it? It's been. Uh, no, this, 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 uh, blow, blows my mind. This, this. <laughs> so, give us some of the most. Give, give us some of your favourite places where there's been an event, or. Uh, well, Melbourne is Melbourne. Well, Victoria, hands down, is the, is the biggest. And uh, until our conversations, I just assume that's because I'm where I lived. But apparently, it's the, the board gamers here are more fun than the rest of the country. But um, I think last year I sort of just I just chucked it out there and thought I'm I'm gonna get whoever i'm gonna get this year it's like i haven't got i haven't got west australia i haven't got northern territory i haven't got uh act i'm gonna focus on those ones this year i got west australia i got northern territory i'm still missing um act it's the only one i haven't got i've got act and you've got the uh, or the cancon organizers do they cross the border sneakily and come through or, or surely some of those must be an act maybe, maybe i just don't know the right people to reach out to but i haven't quite found I lived in Western Australia for almost two years. I'm from South Australia uh, and I have a whole bunch of friends in Canberra. So I definitely think I could help you with reaching out to a few people in those places. I mean, it's, it's not, end of the day, it's not a big deal. I, like, I just wanted to be out there, but, but it was kind of my mission to get all the states this year. Just missed ACT. But that's amazing because, and certainly what we've observed is, I mean, Victoria absolutely is the, the board game sort of capital of Australia in terms of just well, the, the level of passion. I've got, I've got four or five organisations under the Ringwood Social Games <laughs> belt. So. Yeah. 
It's it's a significant portion of them right there. The passion's here, but the passion is elsewhere as well. It's just that it's not as as organised. And I was talking to some other friends who are sort of event organisers as well and run a bunch of events across the country. And they run less in Melbourne because there's more competition in Melbourne. There's more stuff going on. But they've had a bigger presence actually doing some stuff up in Brisbane and down in in Sydney. Uh, And this is the the, the, the board game barbecue gang. And there is definitely an appetite sometimes the 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 kind of structure of existing groups and organizations just isn't there and that's what what is here in this city but the demand is definitely there there. the demand is there and it's a bit like you found jen in point cook you set up a board game night in point cook and there isn't a lot any competition in there and how long did it take for that to build up into a full room was it like the second event we had enough people we went from having 25 people at the first event to all of a sudden having 45 at the next event and definitely needing, you know, to have two rooms. And now we generally average anywhere between 35 to 45 people every single time, except over PAX. <laughs> PAX one was pretty quiet, but I expected that. One of the things that has come up in conversation a lot recently, sort of discussing events and particular catching up with people at PAX, um, about event stuff is the BorderCon thing, and I, I've not been to BorderCon yet. I'd love to go to BorderCon, and um, if if BorderCon organisers are listening, um, we're all jealous of how fabulous Absolutely. everyone says your convention is. But we can't get a ticket unless we're very, very, very quick <laughs> because it sells out in a few hours. And one of the challenges that I had, I know when I sort of came into to Melbourne and was sort of looking at events and that I heard that oh well, this event will just sell out, and that always worried me because I think if events are just selling out especially if they're selling out fast, then they're not accessible to new gamers. They're not open there to discover. You don't know how much demand is out there because there isn't an event there. And what we're seeing is that there's just massive amounts of demand out out there. And and I suspect, Matt, if you've got the ability to get those events out there, um, even just getting sort of games out there is sometimes challenging because we were talking on our last podcast to a a, um, a sort of fellow uh, Melbourne Meeple's team member uh, Francois uh, was living uh, for a while out in South Africa and had set up a gaming group in his church out in South Africa and they actually ended up setting up a game shop because the only way they could get access to the games to play for the game group to play was to actually set up their own retail outlet because otherwise there wasn't a way to get the games in the first place. Which is definitely a challenge. (laughs) I haven't had any trouble with the games. (laughs) We're very spoiled here, though, in Melbourne. Which is why mine are getting very beat up. <laughs> it could be a lot, lot worse. The, the supply of games recently has been a little slower into Australia, which has allowed me to sort of plan, uh, plan the shelf space. But one of the things, Matt, that I observed a few years ago, and it was something which I was in a conversation about organising gaming events. I think it was before I'd moved to uh, Australia because I moved in the middle of COVID, which was a silly thing to do, <laughs> but also a great thing to do because we're here and we love it. We were in a discussion about, I guess, if you organise gaming events and you've been around gaming people, around knowing people where going into board gaming had genuinely saved their lives. And, and you know, somebody says, oh, I had a story where it saved someone's life. And you, the first time you think that, you think, wow, I've got an amazing story that I can tell you that, that you know, kind of we set up a gaming event and we know that it saved a life yeah. somewhere. And then you say, so do we. And then it's like, yeah, yeah. here too. It seemed that... Whenever you speak to anybody that's been involved in organising tabletop events or meets for a reasonable amount of time, or just a reasonable intensity, that almost everybody knows somebody 
who has either um, there's also come close behind that is the we wouldn't have met each other and got married if it wasn't for board games. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then adds up to uh, <laughs> uh, then adds up to sort of children and new lives Absolutely. and so forth. So we're saving lives, creating lives, building lives, and so on. And what seems like a bunch of bits in cardboard boxes and a, a, a nice kind of like sort of a good worthy pursuit and all of that for the mind and everything is doing so, so much, much more for the soul and then the question is what can we do and that's what's been sort of really inspiring Matt is that reach to say what can we do because in reaching out with the are you okay to play events it's also bringing board gaming events into areas where there's a shortage of them in the first place it's maybe bringing a little bit of focus and exposure from the distributors to those areas I take it there were sort of local game stores, was it mainly, if you're going out sort of further out into the sticks, or were there local game groups who were sort of able to pick up some additional games for themselves through sponsorship? Um, I think the the one that, I mean, not across everyone, because it's, it's just different. Um, I think the one that I noticed the most was a group in Tarnit in Victoria. They seem to be mostly, from what I've seen, they're mostly a Muslim community, and they have this sort of this community centre where they, they just get together and meet. I don't know how they heard about I it. I know that but, group. Um, they, they played a few, they, they played a few uh, I think, traditional board games, which they play, and, and they jumped on with this, and all of a sudden they've got a few from the sponsor. And I, I, They were the only ones last year that didn't do a play-to-win competition because they wanted to keep all the games, like so keep them for the centre. Yeah, I, I think that was the one I've I spoken the to the lady that runs that. Um, she actually, speaking of, oh my goodness, somebody's posting on my group. She actually posted on the uh, Board in the West group saying, we run this other thing at exactly the same time as Board in the West. Come to our thing instead. And I was like, ah, that's <laughs> not. <laughs> but uh, after we had a bit of a chat, we really discovered that the two groups are completely different. You know, they, they run a lot earlier in the evening. They're aiming more towards, you know, families and that kind of thing. So it's been really lovely having those kind of collaborations as well where, you know, you find other groups in the area and like, oh, let's help each other. Let's, you know, and I quite often now we have we have people say, oh, look, do you run anything a little earlier? You know, we've got some small children. We'd love to bring them along where I think we really aim sort of board in the West at sort of, you know, maybe 10 and up. These guys are really aiming at bring the whole family and we've got a whole bunch of games that are really good for younger children. It's been nice to give them somewhere that they can go and say, yeah, look, you're going to be super welcome here. You're welcome to come to us as well, but you're going to be super welcome where all these people are bringing their children with these family games. I think that's one of the good things about gaming at the moment is it's becoming more about the community yes. than the games. And I and I I think that the organisers that are successful know this, and they're the ones that they really do focus more on the community and the people than the game. Absolutely, it comes back to one of those sorts of conversations about the city as a whole. Another one of these sorts of discussions that I ended up in over the last few days was that the, I guess even just like the skills and the knowledge we've got within the the community of people that run sort of like gaming events in in the city are so huge and every group feels that there's something that there's missing that you know kind of there's something that they haven't quite got so one of the things we have in Melbourne Meeples is that we're a bit more experienced in navigating council grants and kind of the mechanics of that because we're we've, we've got like an incorporated organization and other groups are far better at leveraging 
like social media and other groups are far better at sort of leveraging other aspects of the community or relationships with designers or so on. But in that, there's an amazing team. We all sort of try and do much the same thing. And the fact that we've got all these different, all these different groups, and while sometimes they may run a bit separately because they're all consuming, so it's often when you're running something, it's very difficult to actually then go out and explore everything else. The gamers you're getting coming to your events are going to all yeah, of them. I'm sad about that. <laughs> PAX was great in order to meet people, and it's great that it gives that profile, and it's great that it's got a bigger tabletop area. I still believe that we could probably fill maybe not the whole of PAX, but half of it, because right now I think the space it's about 30% is allocated to tabletops. I think if you could run a Gen Con style event in Melbourne, you could fill a space at least half of that and fill it and sell it out with board games. The reason they can't run it is because we can't bring that quantity of games, the new release games, the designs and stuff from all around the world, the practicality of getting enough of that exhibit there because so much more of it is physical collateral as opposed to video games (laughs) which are a little easier to exhibit in a big hall like that means that it's it's not easy and this year the um vrlpg and so on they made a big effort to um to negotiate some joint international releases with essen Uh, so they had some games actually launching at pax australia internationally because it was the same weekend as essen so some of the distributors worldwide went Oh, actually, that's quite cool. We can call it a worldwide release and we don't have to, you know, go to all the effort of dealing with America or the US as a market and however many copies they need because we'll use Australia. Uh, but they make it a worldwide release that way. But even just like the, the sort of community events packed, I think of it as a place where you go and you, you, again, you, you meet yeah, lots of people that you know. But a lot of the community events, they're the soul of the city. Yeah. And it's just phenomenal. I mean, all the way down to, because we've got obviously stuff down out, out north, obviously we've got out, out east, far east, you know, kind of that's in your, your world, Matt. We've got the, the stuff that's sort of going up around sort of north, and in the city that both is our groups, but a whole bunch of other church community groups and so forth. Then you've got the stuff down in Mornington Peninsula, and you've got a, was it, no, is it Philip Island? Yeah, there's the where Philip Tom's, Island uh, group. And the board game Getaway, and the, which was, again, that sort of series that went, Blimey, it takes me ages to get to a board gaming event. I think I think it was, it was Tom's line. It was like, if I can try and make people come to us <laughs> by making it a getaway. Well, I, I think like, that's yeah. what I did as well. <laughs> when I started joining meetups, it's like, I could go to all these meetups or I could just bring them to me. That's exactly what Rod and I did. We moved out here west and went, we don't know anybody. Let's just run our own group. And it was right after COVID. So a lot of the groups that had been running had all just shut down. And we've been trying really hard to sort of reach out to a lot of the other groups in the area and go, hey, you know, come work with us. We'd love to sort of send people in your direction. I think it's really lovely the way that you've been able to bring so many different groups together. So you've got something running every weekend and more than every weekend. That was, it was, it was, it was always the thought that now I'm, I'm starting to pay for it. Recently, in fact, just the night before PAX, I was going to say we, but really it wasn't we because I had work to do, so I wasn't able to volunteer. So I chickened out. I turned up and walked past it and then had to go and do, do, do my, my sort of work's dinner. But Jen and uh, a couple of our team were running some open gaming in Fed Square before PAX because we got asked. Now, one of the things that came from that was there was some government support that came into it. And was there a focus on being intergenerational? Absolutely. Trying to build up 
intergenerational connections, uh, trying to really just show people that board games are so amazing to bring people together. And I think one of the things that became very clear during that event was that while we have this amazing community in Melbourne, the number of people that were there that came up to me, and you sort of highlighted this a little bit before, Matt, with what you were saying, the number of people that came up to me while we were there and said, hey, I'm here from New South Wales or I'm here from Queensland or I'm here from WA for the weekend. Can you direct me at some events where I'm from? And I just feel like there's something lacking in our community a little bit where maybe we need to find a way to have a network where we all come together and say, hey, where are you? Put your hand up if you run a gaming event <laughs> because... Britta Fisher from VR was, we were trying to uh, establish a Facebook thing about that. I think our lives just got too busy. I know she she was very keen on that, on having a, a, a group that was just for events from right across yeah. Australia. I think that would be because, amazing. Because I've been wanting to work out whether there was an opportunity to get people also talking to each yeah. other as well as the sort of wider network and just sort of sharing ideas and sharing links. But if Britta's keen to try and facilitate some of that, I can reach out to her once she's recovered from PAX properly. Um, and if, if it's okay, just say that you'd, you'd give them that nudge because I'd be up for putting a bit of work into helping us set that up. I'd love to run a conference where we can all come together, you know? I think Britta kicked off the idea and she got me and she got a guy called Shane up in Queensland and a couple of board game barbecue guys. But I think we are just so involved in what we're doing. It's just a little bit hard to get the another project up and running. Oh, I'm so keen. The community thing in Fed Square, one of the things around that was, um, and this really sort of dawned on me a little bit when you were mentioning the thing, Jen, about intergenerational focus, because there's actually something subtle that's happened there and i don't know to what extent the stuff that you've done matt has possibly even influenced this even if it's done so kind of like uh subtly just by people noticing it the government and i think in this case i'm assuming it's the state government but the government have put some funding into something that has been attributed towards putting board games there in order that people can engage with them now the government has put funding out and tax incentives and all sorts of things to support the video game industry for commercial reasons in uh, Australia. Because the board game industry does not have the same commercial model as the video game industry in terms of its its internationalization and, and the amount of money in it, that hasn't been there for the board game industry in the same way. But we managed to get sponsorship to run the Meeple Market it's in Collingwood Town Hall from the local council because we were helping bringing local businesses together. In this case, we didn't go out seeking for it. The government actually wanted a board game event and wanted to pay for it to bring generations together. And the events that you've been doing, Matt, have then raised the focus of, you know, massively and on a national scale of what board gaming can do to bring people together. And I'm wondering, I guess, the organisers who approached us and said, hey, we'd love you to to run this, you know, board in the city. We, uh, We run our events all over the place as board in the West East you know, whatever. And they're like, hey, would you would you run an event in the city for us? Let's call it Board in the City. And they actually said, oh, did you guys do that Are You Okay to Play Day thing? So they've heard of you. Yes. They know about you. And I was talking to the organisers and said, you know, that, that was actually started by one of the guys that one of our crew actually knows very well. So you're getting out there, Matt. You are getting noticed. Um, big organisers know what you're doing. So you're clearly doing something 
something right, my friend. That, that's great news if only the AUK organisation of announcement <laughs> does the one, one thing I can't crack. What do we need to do to make that happen? Or is that, do you think that's a case of the AUK organisation feeling a little protective of their own brand? Uh, I honestly don't know. I, last year when I started the, the initiative, uh, it was before I even got sponsorship, I just had several people, several groups were interested in coming on board. I emailed them and said, look, this is who I am. This is what I do. This is what I'm proposing to do. I want to do this. Um, it took probably about two weeks to get a response from them. And the response was, we love what you're doing. We love it. Here's some helpful links if you need to you know, ask, are you okay? It's like, then we got the sponsorship on board. We got Britta from VR on board. And I told her the story. And she's kind of like, right. <laughs> so she wrote an email on behalf of VR. And she got me to proofread it, and it was amazing what she wrote. It was very professional. It was everything you know we could ask for. So she says, this is inter- interested. There's school is interested. Um, several weeks later, I said, how'd you go? She goes, we got nothing back. Not a single response. The brush-off was a brush-off that said, we love what you're doing, rather than a brush-off that said, well, do what you like, but don't you dare use our brand assets. I think that stopped short. If you look at the AOK website, it's the most contradictory website I've ever, I've ever seen. I agree with you. It's like, here's our amazing AOK banner for your events. Please don't use our logos. It's like, what? <laughs> I don't understand. When we actually came up for the cover, the cover photo for the Facebook group for AOK, Britta's team at VR designed it. They said, we went through that website and we spoke to our people. We, we think we've done the right thing. That just wasn't clear. I think Rod actually was talking to Britta at PAX. I think he was talking to her at PAX as well and explaining to her a bit about what we were doing with Board in the West as well as some of the other Meeple stuff. And she was saying, please get in touch. I don't know how Britta does it. So we've got the scope, surely in Australia, to bring some more focus and actually use some of the things that we're doing to get more government attention, funding attention and on what we can do. And I think now seems to be a really, really, really good opportunity to do that. And I guess that's the mission for next year well, part of, for all of us. Part of the reason that we started doing this podcast is we really wanted to highlight how amazing board games are for people who are neurodiverse, have disabilities, might be you know socially introverted, to give people this really amazing way to come together. And everyone's on an even playing field, no matter your age or your circumstances. Everyone around that table has the same paces in front of them. Let's go. You know, I love that about board games. It's one of the things that it makes me so passionate about what we do is highlighting all these beautiful things that we can do with some little pieces of plastic and cardboard. And it's amazing when you think about it that way. Completely agree. Completely agree. Well, look, it's been absolutely amazing chatting with you, Matt. I can't wait to, you know, meet you in person because I know I've been to some of your events. I think there's so many amazing things that you're going to do in future and I can't wait to see how much further you push the Are You OK to play. I'm not sure if those amazing things involve a lot of sleep, but we'll see how we go. (laughs) Look, at the end of the day, what you've already done so far is just so completely fantastic. You know, I love the the passion that you've put into uh, it. That, that means a lot. That means a lot when people when people say it because I think given my history, my past, sometimes I need to I need to hear it. I think all of us need to hear yeah, it, it, you know. Sense. Like we all of us that we do this because we love it and then sometimes I think we forget that, you know, it's really nice to hear 
Well, you, I mean, you guys, the, you guys are the same, what you've done. And I, I remember this morning when I thought, right, tonight's, today's interview, I'll start doing my research. It's like, wow, it's another <laughs> me. Well, definitely, Matt, who started it off 10 years ago, it's come so far since, you know, the little thing that he started as Melbourne Meeples, having now grown into the same kind of thing. We have something running every single weekend with Melbourne Meeples in Adelaide, uh, in Adelaide, in Melbourne. (laughs) (laughs) That would be a stretch. I'm not sure they'd let us be called Melbourne Meeples in Adelaide. I don't think so. In fact, I think we'd... Well, I don't know. We We could have Dan Andrews as our poster child and they'd love it for sure. (laughs) But yeah, it does make a difference and it takes that effort and not just effort, but that faith to step out and make those connections because everything that has been built and everything that's grown and everything if you look back at what's happened in the Melbourne board game community but actually it's the same it was the same back where sort of I was living before we moved to Australia up in in Yorkshire is there's a a phenomenal game community in Yorkshire and I can point to about five or six people who I know were the instigators of bringing other people together and getting them talking to each other one of my friends that I met through the gaming is is English I think she's from Yorkshire and she always when she goes home, she always goes back and says, I'm going to go and play with, with the locals when I'm going to go back. So it's probably the same group. There's a fantastic convention up in Harrogate that's about six, seven years old. And this one, this one eclipses everything in terms of growth. This one was started by someone called Mark, not Matt. But it was started in Mark's bedroom all the way up to this year's, which I think is going to be five and a half thousand people. But the the reason it's grown, well, there's two reasons. One is an elastic venue that basically can grow as as it's needed to, because they started in, they got into a small bit in the convention centre and then grew. Um, Another reason is some good... Good support after um, the, the Watch It Played gang went along one year and went, oh my God, that's brilliant here and kept coming back and they, they, so they're regulars. But the real thing is because it is known to, well, certainly within the UK, and I was lucky because I lived down the road, I could just go out my house, get on a bus, get out to Aircon. So it was, it was fantastic. It's the friendliest. Yeah, very much board game event that I've ever been and one of the things I remember learning from that was I was analyzing that and thinking in particular during COVID when you're thinking what would you do after and we're in the process of sort of moving away from the UK moving to Australia thinking what was it that made it so friendly what was it that made it so connected and the real thing it was was that you had all these disparate groups because if you think about like Melbourne and disparate groups in Melbourne Melbourne's the size of Yorkshire absolutely in fact Melbourne might be bigger than Yorkshire but in Yorkshire you've got how many cities you know when you actually add that together how many full distinct cities with their own identity Leeds, Bradford, Sheffield, Hull oh so many Bridlington, Hull (laughs) and Scarborough, Filey then you've got up in the Dales you've got you've got like almost the equivalent the entirety of Victoria of a sort in in locales what happened you've got loads of different groups and factions something happened that brought all those people together into to something where they were all just collaborating with each other and it became one community of communities yeah and that was just bang and that's what i think we're seeing happening post-covid in in melbourne at the moment is beginning those links beginning to form and it's just it's just fabulous and and i think that's the that's the thing those sort of the kind of original sort of community builders who've been who've set the foundations for that and and you know our matt matt utting as well jen said is definitely one of those matt you've done it 
across the country. Right. You've got further Hats in some ways with events than the than, than the barbecue <laughs> the barbecue guys. Well, we do have a running joke. If you if you just like Matt and love our group, someone will answer. Yeah, yep. it's not often. Well, I think what you're saying is true. I mean, I was thinking about today when I was thinking about what to say today, but um. Where I started, like I started going to board game events and I started my own board to meet people and now I'm meeting people over the country. Like it really is, it's, it's amazing. It really is. No, a guy, guy in Queensland named Shane and he, he's like, he's the Queensland version of me. Like he's he's amazing and it's, it's just, I would never have met these people if I didn't didn't start it. But it really just goes to show how big the community is and how you know how good the community is. I think we're really starting to see, I agree with you, that convergence of people realising that for the good of the community, it's not about how great we all are individually at building our groups, but what can we actually do with that creativity and what can we do with that spark to bring it all together and make a much bigger community so that more people are aware. It does have its challenges. And, and it does, and I think we're it's, on yeah, it. we work, work on it and it's keeping it... Keeping it, sounds cheesy, doesn't it? Keeping it real, but yeah. it's being able to grow trying, it. Trying to, trying to beat the, the memory of monopoly of people, I think, is the chance. Yes. I see. Oh, oof. there we get back into the thing, right? Monopoly is great for 25 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> it's the bit after that that's a problem. Well, I, there's so many people that I speak to, right? It's, oh, you know, I, you know, I run board games groups. So I'm like, their experience is monopoly. It's like, well, yeah. we don't live in those days anymore. I think one of my one of my friends had the best Halloween costume ever a few years ago when she went to a few op shops and found a whole bunch of old Monopoly board games and um, very slowly peeled all the Monopoly stickers off the boards and put them on a bunch of skirts. Well, she put it all on a skirt and walked around like this all day, like just looking like she was fast asleep with a sleep mask on her head. And everyone was like, are you a board game? And she goes, yeah, board, board game, board playing Monopoly. And it's like, oh, God. But it, <laughs> it's just so true. Like Monopoly is one of those games that sort of we all kind of have played it at some point. It all made us go, oh, you know, this is fun. I don't even know if I've played it no, by I the never rules. Have. It doesn't. <laughs> but I was talking to my boss at work and, and we're talking about it. He's not a gamer. And uh, I can't remember how the conversation started, but he said, oh, but isn't isn't that what board games are about? You you want to win and you smash your opponent down. It's like, no, no, those days are gone. We, we play games and often we don't know who's won until the game's finished and we, we, we'll all play to the finish. And it's, it's just it's such a different thing now. And I think trying to break some of that stigma has is, is been a bit of a challenge to the non-gamers. Listen, there's, there's a cook. So I have a little pile of, of, of games that, and there seems to be like a set of sort of classic Euro games even that fit within that oeuvre of like, you know, smash everyone down, you know, kind of be beaming and be nasty. I kind of worked out that actually I think they're all designed within around about sort of like 150 kilometres of each other. <laughs> uh, well, between northern Italy and the southeast corner of France. <laughs> <That's kind> of, <laughs> so I think there's just maybe a bit of a bit of a corner where there was something in the water. And I, the water must be pretty nice around there. It's all like mountainous sort of alpine regions, lots of nice spring water and everything. But there's something in there that basically just makes people go, go on then. Uh, you know, get, get in there and, and design sort of like mean games. French military but... victories. <laughs> Yeah, or something, all the, the Italians. I think of things like Citadel, or Br- 
Bruno Faduti or whatever it is, if that if that's how you say it. And some of those Italian uh, school games like Barrage, which are kind of like you will suffer <laughs> to learn this game. <laughs> Right. But apart from those, and, and even people have wonderful experiences playing those, because uh, they can be quite funny. Well, not Barrage. Barrage isn't funny, but, but Barrage is, is an endeavour. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think it's also a shift in the community in that even if you are playing a super competitive game, a lot of the time people are starting to, and this was something I saw a lot in the Magic community and why I stopped playing Magic for a very long time, is that it became so competitive that people were just building decks to win and there's this huge shift that's now happened in the community where people are coming to commander games and saying hey guys look i've got a deck that does this and i just want you to know that so that you know what to expect with what's going on with the game i'm here just to have some fun you know if i do play a card that is going to completely squash you it's really just about the fun of the game. If it's not going to make it fun for you, we can play a little bit differently. Um, but it's really nice to see that communication starting to come in where people are getting into the habit of setting expectations before they're playing games and going, do you want to make this competitive? Uh, I, I can tell you now that I am the ring of social games looking <laughs> boy when it comes to new players. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> the number of times I've now played Obsession Versus the number of time that I won. <laughs> well, well, when when we get new people come in, often some of the regulars will go and introduce themselves and say, "Look, if if you're struggling, don't worry about it. Just pick on Matt. That's what everyone does." That's. And uh, my oldest son, who came, uh, he came, he comes when he, when he's over. He often comes, and he, I said afterwards on the events, I said, "Oh, yeah, they've got." One of the regulars have got this thing where they, they just tell people to pick on me. Yeah, I know. I heard it twice while I was at the event. <laughs> it's all about the fun. I mean, we don't care who, who wins most of the time. That's the key thing. And that's certainly where I get a lot of the fun in being at game events is, is in the teaching. And in the teaching, you know, kind of you then you, you're, in a, you, you're trying to make sure you play. You're learning when to judge as to whether whether it's good to sort of help someone out with some tactical advice, when to step back so that they can sort of think about it for themselves. But it's all about the experience. You're trying to facilitate a really, really great gaming experience and where, you know, and then you put a little bit of sort well, of well, like the, competition the, Those are the things that build build the community. If you, if you go and you're playing against someone that's new and you beat the crappers out of them, they're not coming back. I think it's grown to the point now where those really can die out competitive people, they, they just have trouble fitting in now. And I've said I've said that in in um, my description for my group. So look, you're going to get those people. Don't let it bother you because it won't be long before they're not coming because nobody wants to play with them. And actually, there are. I'm going to put it the other way. If you are one of those people, because there might be listeners out there who says, "Yeah, I do actually want to compete." Actually, it, it's fine. There are other people who want to compete, compete. There are competitions to compete, compete. And you can come and have practice of those competitions with other people who like to compete, compete at the events. Really, it's all about, you know, competing at all costs. Guys, it's been absolutely fantastic chatting, getting to know you, Matt. And, you know, I, I'm loving seeing the changes in our community 
definitely looking forward to seeing so many more events coming out for everybody. I think where we we definitely want to see a lot more new people coming along. So look, if a friend of yours has shared this with you and you're hearing all about board games for the first time, please look up our communities. We would love to have you come along. We love new players. Not, not just our communities, any, any board game community. Absolutely. Get your I don't know of a single board game community in Melbourne, and I very much doubt you're going to be unlucky enough to find one in, in the whole of Australia. In fact, in many places in the world, which won't be warm, friendly, and welcoming. Yeah, there's always the odd one, but your odds are very good. Absolutely. So, do, would you like to leave us with uh, any words of wisdom, Matt? Oh, God. <laughs> wisdom and me don't do it. I've got a better one. Would you like to leave us with your favourite game? Ah, uh, well, I think I've already mentioned mentioned them, and it, it's it's very fluid. My favorite games, I think most gamers' favorites are fluid. Everdell's always number one. It has been for quite a while. <laughs> yes, high five and screen. <laughs> One of the reasons I love this, just it's, I mean, it is beautiful, but um, it's a game where if things go bad, you can pull it back until someone steals your ever tree. <laughs> Oh, it's a running joke for that group now that, you know, someone stole my ever tree. I'm never going to forgive them. Uh, I would understand that joke. (laughs) Oh, no worries. I just love it. You can keep squeezing more and more out of it. I love that you can pull your game back. That's so beautiful. Been number one for a while. And Unfair is the other one at the moment. Very good choices. I'm going to have to check on Fair out. I almost picked up a copy at PAX, again, because it's always there at PAX, and I just, for some reason I didn't. So, Jen, you said you've got Unfair. We'll uh, have to... Uh... I think that's one of those games you should play first before you commit to buying it. Yeah, definitely. I I will bring it along to the next board in the East. I didn't like it the first time I played it. I didn't either, actually. I think the first time I played it, I was like, this is rubbish, babe. Why did you buy this game? And then we played it again, and I was like, Oh, I get it now. So definitely, um, I think it it helps having a playthrough. So it's Everdell and Unfair, which is brilliant because Everdell is also Jen's favourite game. So you guys know, and Unfair is a is a great well, sort of tip off to come play. Number one spot for a long time. Terraforming Mars had the number one spot for a long time. But I think Everdell for me is probably number two. Ticket to Ride is definitely my favourite game. Oh, Ticket to Ride. And I've never had anything replace it, but that's mainly because it's one of the few games that I know I can consistently beat my husband. So, yay. (laughs) Well, that's one reason why I don't like Terraforming Mars as much as I do. (laughs) I think it's a good game, but yeah, I always lose at it. And it's a good game, but it's consistently beaten by my partner. (laughs) Yeah, I always get, every time I play Terraforming Mars, I'm like, oh, I'm so close, I'm so close, and then someone always pips me. So I get you. So on that note, we've talked a lot about the the perils of excess competition in gaming events and the dangers that excess competition can place in gaming events when you can get a little too competitive in this scenario. But I think the point we're ending at is that that same competition is part of a healthy marriage. Absolutely. And on that note... (laughs) (laughs) And on that note... (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us, Matt. Thank you for having me. It's, it's, it's been a lot of fun. Thanks, everyone. Goodbye. <laughs> Good night, everyone.
RSG Melbourne Maples unfair. <laughs> Make it happen.